Hello and welcome to our Christmas special podcast on journalism.co.uk. As always, I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. What makes this week any different, though? Our special guest is someone you might know very well. It's my editor, Marcella Kunova. Today, we'll be taking a look back at some of the emerging patterns and key trends that we have seen in our coverage this year. We try to be a source of practical advice for journalists and media professionals everywhere. Throughout the year, we try to get the best insights from industry experts about how they are navigating the problems we all share. But we too share these problems. So Marcella will offer some insight into what we have been up to behind the scenes, including why we decided to host virtual work experience placements and why our tight-knit editorial team will be embarking on industry mentorships next year. Today, we're offering a snapshot into our year's coverage. We'll talk about some of those dominant topics that have cropped up time and time again. In other words, what topics you journalists are really seeking the answers to, as well as the ones which haven't resonated all that well. Hopefully, you'll find something genuinely meaningful in terms of giving a forecast of where this industry is headed based on our data. So stay tuned as Marcella joins us from the journalism.co.uk newsroom. It's uh, been a while since our listeners would have heard you last on our podcast, but of course you've been really busy this year, what with organising our newsroom-wide conferences, plural, and um, overseeing our editorial content, which we'll get onto later. But 2019, what an interesting year. It was indeed. We've covered a lot of stories, spoken to a lot of people, gone to a lot of events. As such, we've got knowledge and insight to share. And uh, that's the point of today, isn't it? To offer some forecast of where our industry is headed. We can, though, Marcella, see a couple of topics which really seem to have stuck out this year. Um, You see all of our analytics, as do I, and you have led our editorial strategy. What patterns have emerged and uh, how have we responded? Well, we've definitely seen a lot of interest in open source tools, uh, be it data journalism, uh, image producing, essentially whatever is shared resources and collaboration that is definitely that was the most sought after content on our website this year. Uh, trust in a media, massive topic this year. Uh, with trust in the media obviously comes disinformation and misinformation and different way of of fighting that. Uh, strangely, one of the uh, most sought after content on our website this year was Instagram and any content related to Instagram, especially Instagram video. So there is definitely, I think there's uptake of, you know, maybe media searching to get in touch with younger audiences or market the the content more visually. Uh, mobile journalism, TikTok, buzzword of the year. Everyone wants to be on TikTok. Everyone wants to understand how to do it properly. So do we. Um, so we are looking for answers and also mental health in newsroom. You know, there has been, uh, we covered it quite a bit, looking at what the problems are, what different actors are doing to, to help their reporters or the senior staff with mental health problems inside a newsroom and that was definitely content that resonated with our audience. Mm. A, a good range of topics there. How has that caused our editorial strategy to change in, in terms of how much uh, focus we're placing on certain topics? If you want, you know, our mission and I you know, kind of keep on repeating it, is really offer people practical content that they can use in their day-to-day work uh, and they can genuinely find useful just to make their work better. So apart from offering really sort of hands-on content, we are very much looking more at reporting about what's lacking, uh, 
community journalism, local newspapers, and perhaps we shifted a bit from reporting a lot on sort of the next shiny thing as technology and sort of new tools. And we are looking more at what the industry as a whole needs to to improve and to really reconnect with our audiences. So the fact we're covering more local news stories is not an accident then? Absolutely not. Um, do you know what? I'm guilty as charged. I have to say that I am one of the people who lived in London bubble for years and I was completely unaware of local press around the UK. I mean, the whole world of local papers for me was absolutely just unknown. Well, I don't think I appreciated the extent to which um, local communities lose their source of information and lose their connection to news. And since moving to Brighton, you know, it's close to London, but it's it's a regional town, right? And I just see just the massive lack of, you know, not only technology, but genuine resources for people to, you know, to know the place where they live, to connect with a, you know, local council, local, you know, schools, hospitals, spending, you know, it's, it's, it's knowledge you absolutely need in order to make decisions. And news agenda is so focused on national news that people are losing touch with their own community, their own surroundings. We need to do something about it because that goes hand in hand with trust in media. People will trust something they know that is close to them, not, you know, some expert in London. I do not believe the news industry can only survive on big nationals. We need local papers. And so for journalism.co.uk, how are we part of that discussion? We try to feature new initiatives. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Local news is changing. Uh, Lots of papers are, I say papers, lots of papers abandoning the paper. Uh, They are going digital, uh, but also uh, they're fantastic initiatives. Um, Local news moving on the apps, on messengers, on you know Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp. I mean, it, you know, it changes form, but there there are new ways of how local audiences can get their the local news. And also, we try to look at all the forms of financing, uh, training for local journalists, and to sort of practically be there and inspire that change, and you know, and offer any kind of tools that are either inexpensive or or open source. I think this is one of the the you know we kind of circle back to to. The, the practical side of what we do because very often it's not money that is lacking although yes it's lacking but lots of problems can be solved not only with throwing more money at local newsrooms but also make the world smarter provide them with better tools or better skill to to produce content something like mobile journalism you know producing video can be incredibly expensive if you need all the equipment producer hardware and software whereas now it's possible to do it all with a mobile phone that's game changer for loads and loads of small newsrooms and the mobile journalism we've we've i don't want to say covered to death but we've certainly done a lot of uh coverage there the other thing we've touched on a lot this year is diversity right obviously a big part of our last news wide conference diversity tell us about some of the conversations happening there you know what it's i think diversity is somehow the link between why we need local how to reconnect with audiences and how to gain their trust and again it is about audience engagement, really. People are more likely to listen when someone looks like them or sounds like them. They connect to their to their community, really. And, you know, news industry has been for a very long time dominated by the proverbial middle-aged white men. And I think now there is, there is a real um, just awakening, really, in the industry to 
just they realize that we don't just tick boxes. Oh, you know, let's hire a woman and oh, we have a diverse team, right? But genuinely, when you hire people from different communities or different places, you gain access to knowledge that you didn't have previously. Gain access to sources, to stories you would have otherwise missed. And that, that offers you such a good news content that it, it genuinely, literally pays off to, to hire people from, from different backgrounds. We've, we've touched on this, but have there been any real breakthrough topics this year or has it been much of the same? Obviously, monetization is, well, it's not exactly a breakthrough topic, right? Uh, but um, especially in the UK, there starts to be way more interest in subscription and membership models. Now, UK is notoriously not very good at it. I mean, the I think it's about 10% of um, population that is subscribed to, to any news product, uh, which is, you know, third or quarter of what um, what we see in Scandinavian countries. So more and more UK media are looking at how to monetize their content, sourcing money directly from their readers, really genuinely selling their content to, to their subscribers. So that has definitely been um, quite a sort of after topic from, from UK perspective. And oh, solution journalism. Again, not necessarily a new topic, but it starts to be taken seriously. So what, you know, in many newsrooms out there has been previously discounted as you know, fluffy positive news about baby pandas somewhere. Newsrooms generally start to realize that unless we change the way we report, people will not consume content because they just have enough, enough of negativity, enough of just despair, um, you know, enough of arguments and divisions and content that seeks to bridge that. And UK newsrooms starts to be, start to be increasingly curious about solutions journalism approach or constructive journalism if we, if we want to take it more broadly. If we were to exercise that for a moment, if we were going to be honest with ourselves, what topics haven't worked for us? <laughs> you know, we always say we should not only talk about our successes, but also the failure. And it's very funny when you're on the other side of the microphone. But And, you know, I will, I will be brutally honest. What people don't care about is content that it looks like it has been written for the subject of the article rather than the reader. You know, this kind of interviews where it just looks like you feature someone because someone got in touch and they want to be featured. I mean, people are bored of these things. And unless you make it relevant for people, you know, they see right through it. And, you know, every newsroom is probably faced with the same pressures. We don't do much of it. But if ever we did it, even just marginally, that content went straight to the floor. We just see it. People want content that's relevant to them, they can connect to that they will seek out. If we just feel like featuring something, push it down the throat, that just doesn't work. Especially our audiences who are, of course, journalists. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a conversation we've had many times this year, but what metrics really matter to our articles? I suppose the, the top metric would be loyalty. And by loyalty, I mean seeing number of users returning on our website. I mean, I do watch social sharing, although, you know, I take it with a pinch of salt because journalists, just like any other audience, skim through the headlines, maybe read the first paragraph and then share it uh, because that make us look more, more intelligent or competent or, you know, in the know. And, you know, and that's fair enough. But at least you see what content people think that will make them look intelligent and, and in the know. So that is interesting from this point of view. If something get, just gets loads of clicks, you know, we all know how to produce a click bite. <laughs> we know the words to use. We know pictures to use. You know, that is not difficult. 
and I don't really care. Our our content is open, it's free, so we have nothing to gain from from just clicks. What we really, really want to do is to have engaged community of, of journalists who will come back again and again, engage with the content, perhaps comment on it. I very closely watch social comments because we don't have the comment section on the website, as you know, and I just want to make sure we are not only part of the debate, but we are leading debate. For example, blockchain. I mean, you know, we were one of the very few industry papers who really produced a number of articles on, on using blockchain technology in journalism and it definitely snowballed into more interest from from the industry. In terms of gaining comments with our readers, is that specific to any topics? Are any topics really good at eliciting comments from our readers? There are definitely topics that spark debate. I mean, probably one of the the most fast and furious conversation I've seen on our Twitter was um, when we published a, in my mind, completely innocent tool on stock images for journalists. That was my byline. <laughs> that was your byline indeed. And, uh, you know, it was very interesting. Conversation was born out of this um, this piece of content where loads of uh, specialty photographers were getting in touch saying, you know, do not promote free content, you know, hire a photographer. You know, this is undermining the industry. And it offered us a completely new point of view. I mean, we didn't consider, I mean, I didn't consider it when, when we did the article. I didn't really even think about it but this is why these conversations are so good thinking about what you said about sort of superficial sharing of articles are there any topics that are particularly prone to having that effect (laughs) um so there is one oddity i spotted um this year and there was uh, especially content around diversity very particularly when it came to any initiatives or project dealing around disability in journalism uh these articles were disproportionately shared compared to engagement, read depth, and um, just sort of general engagement with the website. I mean, in, in plain language, people seem to be very happy to share content around diversity, especially disability. They don't seem to be all that bothered to read about it themselves. So <laughs> we think that we are maybe special somehow, but I see the exact same trends as everyone else is in their, in their audiences. That's fascinating, isn't it? Staying just with data, how have we fared for gender balance for sources? Well, I took a random sample of our articles, so I took 25% of our articles, and I think we fared pretty well. I mean, there was a very slight gender imbalance in favour of men sources was 53% against 47% women but I spotted one interesting trend in there Uh, lots of that content was events and conference coverage and on the panel or as speakers those people tend to be men so we report on you know industry events but men are disproportionately present at these events and I'm not going to say this is what skewed our um, our gender balance towards sort of the favour of men. But there's definitely a trend I've seen. So more female speakers, please. You did a good job of uh, gender balance at our last News Rewired, though. So it's definitely possible the experts are out there. 100%. Although you did very well in podcast, we had the exact uh, split 29 men, 29 women. So if I'm the last woman at the podcast today, uh, that makes 30 women against 21 men. So, yeah. You don't count. <laughs> Uh, on podcasts, we um, we had an editorial meeting a few months months ago where we essentially pressed pause and said, you know, are we being intentional enough? 
Uh, one of the recommendations that came out was for us to all go out and get industry mentors. Uh, I'm delighted to announce that I've just secured a very good mentor who works as an audio reporter in the States. Uh, she's got a great CV and we had a great chat and she's provided some great early pointers. Uh, we'll be in regular communication next year with a focus on you know, raising the quality of our podcasts. Um, but you also are on the lookout for a mentor, Marcella. Mentorships don't end when you become an editor. So why do you feel mentorships would be useful for you and what are you really seeking next year to gain from it? I think it's very important to exchange knowledge and skills in the industry. And in a way, it goes both ways. So, you know, I'm always looking to exchange. I'm looking to collaborate, really. For me, mentorship is it's a genuine exchange. So you get access to knowledge or expertise you don't necessarily have. Uh, you know, we are a very small team. There is only so much we can do. We have tools that are limited. We are two reporters and, and me. So I don't think people sometimes appreciate just how small our team is. You know, I can't commission a report or I can commission an analytic, you know, report of some kind. If we want something, we need to do it ourselves. So I have simply limited tools to work with as well. And I am interested uh, to talk to someone who have those great, you know, teams and who can get way more insights about the way their work is organized. Audience engagement is something I'm genuinely passionate about and how to keep this community alive and genuinely bring value. You know, I don't take our listeners or, or, or readers for granted. I mean, people have very limited time and attention span and they don't owe us anything. So if we want their loyalty, we genuinely have to gain it. And I want to gain it by means that will bring value to, to our readers. Well, this is what I'm looking for, just whoever is doing this right. I want to get the, you know, those bits of wisdom and, and help you know, our community to, to gain genuine value out of our work. It's interesting because do you feel like mentorships are spoken about enough in the industry? I think more and more. Uh, but again, I'm a bit concerned about access to mentors because, again, it usually requires either physical proximity or access to technology that allows you to you know, maybe communicate with someone overseas, uh, being able to obviously jump on the timeline, you know, have time between juggling your personal life, family life and, and your work and, you know, I suppose find someone who, again, looks or sounds like you and having a mentor that is just very far removed from from who you are, I don't know, perhaps can hamper your, your progress as a, as a mentorship and, you know, are mentors sort of diverse enough to really help just a variety of people that are in the industry. I'm not quite sure about that. So I would like to see more mentors coming from all walks of life, all expertise, you know, genders, ages, <laughs> locations. And, you know, in, in a way, mentorship is almost like a micro community. You really cultivate something you have in common and then exchange your knowledge. I, I just want to touch on something really interesting you did this year to do with work placements, um, because this has been another uh, subject that we've reported a lot on, um, you know, an ongoing conversation this year has been unpaid work placements. You know, I've, for example, been to events where university course leaders have described situations where students have lost placements uh, because they couldn't afford the commute. I've spoken to aspiring journalists who have told me how difficult it is to take a week of work. Uh, just this week, I reported on a scheme here in the UK which subsidises those subtle expenses we don't think about. So it's it's a beat that I have really tried to cover. 
And this, you know, this is, goes back to what we're saying about trying to narrow in on the root of the problem. So we're not just talking about poor students that can't afford their train fare, but you know, we're talking about imposter syndrome, class barriers, and, and more deep-rooted topics. Um, this remote work placement that you've been involved with this year, Marcella, tell us a little bit about that and, and why you wanted to be involved with that. It's something really close to my heart because I obviously am not uh, from the UK. So when I arrived to this country, I genuinely didn't know anyone. Tell me about imposter syndrome. Um, it's really hard to break into this industry. And, you know, for me, what work placements do is that they allow you access to people who made it. It just makes it look real. And, you know, for lots of people, this sounds completely crazy. Like, you know, what do you mean? Obviously, it's real. But if you came from very far, literally or, or metaphorically, it's, um, I suppose, just the just the belief that you actually can do it. It can be a journalist or reporter or, you know, whatever your, your role in the newsroom can be. It's very tough to even just believe it at the beginning. You know, study is one thing, but then you go out and you start to look for work. And it's tough, you know, it's, it's really, really tough. So one of the things uh, we did with London School of Arts is uh, we took eight of their students and we started this eight week sort of remote work experience uh, where I would be on call with them every week that we would, you know, talk about topics they were covering, perhaps something they were struggling with. I could introduce them to sources, help them widen the network, write in a journalistic way. And this is something we see very, very often. Uh, loads of students learn to write in very academic way. Um, and it's kind of not really fit for a newsroom. So it is valuable for them to have a genuine editor's feedback. You know, I have no other rule than to give them very real life feedback that they will receive in a newsroom. And, and you know, it was great because it really kind of brought this whole um, concept of being a journalist to life for students who only really wrote at school or in kind of this sort of academic setting, but who did not have access yet to a newsroom physically. And more to come next year then, hopefully? Definitely. So this um, actually spurred a conversation with um, several universities in the UK currently where we look to offer, for lack of a better name, I call it virtual work experience. So what we want to do is to do a you know, week or two week work placement but it will allow students, especially those in perhaps remote places or you know, very, very far away from London or Brighton, to you know, jump on a daily call with me personally. So we'd, we would not leave them to their own devices. Do a sort of morning call, agree what we do during the day. You know, more and more newsrooms work remotely with their reporters. I mean, many, many people don't come to a physical newsroom. And I think this trend is set to continue. So there is no reason why we should not start to do work experiences in this in the same spirit. But I genuinely think students from outside big metropoles need better access to journalism industry because currently the barrier is not only the distance, but it is just the self-doubt. That is, I think, is bigger barrier than money or distance. And they all got bylines as well. They all got bylines indeed. Staying with trends, it's uh, time to get your crystal ball out or your analytics, whichever you prefer. What trends do you see persisting into 2020? One of the trends I see here to stay is solutions journalism, simply because it helps newsrooms to connect with their audiences, bring more valuable content, but also re-engage with those who can't consume you know, divisive or, or low quality or just really negative content anymore. And also there is the question of mental health 
uh, where I think newsrooms start to become increasingly aware of the impact of their reporting or the audience. I think we will still uh, look for the new social media saviors. Journalists are kind of little by little coming out of, of um, Facebook, especially after the social video uh, kind of went down in 2019. Uh, you know, TikTok, I said, is the new buzzword. Will it be here in the end of 2020? I don't know. Uh, but, you know, the more journalists sort of mess around with it, the higher probability someone will actually do something really, really good. Visual storytelling, whether it's mobile journalism, whether it's Instagram, whether it's data visualization, people do want visual content and that it's easy to understand uh, and that is more engaging. You know, I'm not going to call it Snapchat journalism, but um, younger audiences definitely have a point, you know, why content should be boring and difficult to consume if it can be engaging and entertaining and still good quality. So, I, you know, I, I expect to see uh, more of them, more of that, and then definitely artificial intelligence. So that is something where um, I hope more, especially UK newsrooms, will start to embrace. I think according to last report from journalism AI team at London School of Economics, it's about 40% of UK newsrooms that have any kind of AI strategy. That leaves 60% of, of UK newsroom completely behind these industry trends. And you know these tools can be so valuable in everyday journalism work. So there is this perception you know, artificial intelligence will replace reporters. It will not. It cannot. Uh, but it can help them tremendously. You know, imagine working without search engines. I mean, that would be just so, so tough. You know, these are tools that can make your reporting so, so much better. Analyzing data sets, uh, searching images. You know, we can do so much more with proper tools. So, yes, some of them are expensive. Yes, some of them are, you know, it takes a bit to get used to. But once we do, they can generate tremendous value for the newsroom. So I want to see more of that. And we will do more editorial on artificial intelligence for dummies, literally. So everyone who is still kind of scared of the, the concept or doesn't really understand it, really want to make it accessible and just show the value of these products. AI for dummies, that's going to be a headline next year on journalism.co.uk. Uh, what, what have you learned this year? What's been the, well, the most useful takeaway? I really now appreciate the value of physical interactions with our audience. I don't think I completely got it before, maybe just a year ago. But now that I experienced it, you know, the best insights we had came from people directly telling me this works or this doesn't work or, you know, more of this, please. So more meetups for us next year, maybe? More meetups for us next year, definitely. Marcella, thank you very much for your time. It sounds like I've got a lot to put in the diary for next year. But uh, here's to 2019, and we look forward to 2020. It's easy, isn't it, as a journalist to get caught up with planning editorial for the week and being on constant deadline, that you forget that people are literally going to read the words that you are typing. But then you go to events and you get talking to people, and they say, oh, I saw your piece in such and such. And that reminds me that we are here to serve an audience, and it's important not to lose sight of that. Because now, as we are seeing in what we report, audience engagement is so crucial. So next year, it'll be great to meet more of our readers, like you listening right now. So for those of you listening in at home or on the commute, whether today is your first listen or you've been here all year or even longer, thank you for your support. This will be our last podcast of the year. So this is me signing off 2019 by saying we're excited about what is in store for 2020. From all the team, have a lovely Christmas and we'll see you in the new year.